Hello and welcome to episode 290 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. <laughs> I'm Tristan Carcino. Oh, and we are coming to you in different moods today, different headspaces. What mood are you in? I, Did you I go to know. another fucking Kraken game? God. I, I pivoted to positivity at some point. But oh, my God. Okay, so cause... tell us about your Din Tai Fung again. Maybe that's because I'm in Seattle. You know, I never even got to talk about it. We got a free t-shirt at the game oh, last week. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm in Renton, Washington. <laughs> that bad. Wow. Well, look. Uh, <laughs> I Before we get fully into it, definitely want to say happy Hanukkah to the listener and hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving last week as well. Uh, Tristan legitimately did not ruin the gravy. It was quite good. The turkey was outstanding. He, he is an inexplicably masterful chef. It's <sighs> the only thing that was outstanding. <laughs> it was not a good Thanksgiving week for many of Seattle sports teams because the Kraken slash Macklemore slash Coldplay curse struck in full effect Ending two seasons for Seattle sports teams officially. Two? And okay. All but ending the the season for your Seattle Seahawks. This is even though they've still got six games to play. Usually we have to wait until December to do the year review pod, but here it is. Oh. It is the the seasons over podcast. I know Ben's on Pacific time. Do we do we have him? I, I wasn't aware that he was going to be staying up till uh, eleven thirty p.m. to record this podcast wouldn't be the season room we're also not gonna be able to do over-unders for a long period of time oh, go God. back and revisit those but those came out great we nailed all those picks <laughs> the cardinals though i i nailed the cardinals you did nail the cardinals that is correct they're probably already over <laughs> i think it was that pessimistic the Rams, it turns out have a ways to go the only, that is actually the only joy that I have left is cheering against the Rams and Matt Stafford specifically. Well, Jared Goff I, is now like my new Jake Hayner. It's pretty wild. Somehow the Rams may have been struck by this curse as well within the past three weeks. <laughs> uh, should we go through it team by team? All right, we're not. We're not even doing the toast beforehand we're going into this well the toasts are part of the positivity so we have to do the toasts in the middle of the pod okay so we're, we're starting with negativity yeah that's good good we want to end with positivity well i feel we're like we should start positivity emergency pod style our second emergency pod of the day yeah by the way this is the third podcast we have released <laughs> recorded released today i guess we didn't really recorded two of them oh. today because I, we had the we had, <laughs> wow <laughs> we can't even talk it's, it's the opposite the, the opposite of <laughs> awkward silence just us talking over each other the the one thing that we can mention before we pivot pivot <laughs> to positivity that is positive is talk and taco time uh yeah a wonderful interview with aramis johnson of the band enum claw which i've been listening to almost non-stop lately wow. the jimbo demo ep looking forward to some new music for the from them coming soon as well uh, and then also Randy talking about his experiences behind the scenes 
on the set of the Taco Time Northwest Superfan commercial. Turn this podcast off and listen to that right now. I mean, it's a lot less time sensitive. Honestly, that's that's probably the lowest priority. The highest priority, the most time sensitive, and the shortest of these podcasts was <laughs> our emergency pod reacting to the news that the Huskies have hired Kalen DeBoer as their new football coach. That one's pretty positive. So maybe maybe play that during the second half of this God, podcast. I can't believe that earlier today I was feeling that way. I mean, you were not feeling that way about the Seahawks, in fairness. What's wrong with me? So, the Seahawks. The good news is, the Seahawks never playing a normal game is full-on back. Or at least in prime time, for at the very least, never playing a normal game in prime time. A game where they tied it at nine on a blocked extra point, two-point PAT return. Uh, injuring Joey Sly in the process, forcing Washington football team to go for every fourth down that they didn't punt the rest of the way. Uh, getting a stop at the goal line on fourth and goal from the three, just beyond the two minute mark to keep the game alive after a replay review overturned the call, then marching 99 yards to score the touchdown, but missing the two point conversion, then recovering the onside kick, (sighs) but getting called for illegal formation on the onside kick. And the second onside kick was failed, thus dropping them to three and eight on the season. Can I just express what I, I think most Seahawks fans are feeling right now? What's that? Ah! <laughs> oh, no. Come on! Also, another one. Kraken! How is this possible? The Kraken curse strikes again, nonstop, throughout this week, except somehow for the Kraken during this week, who well, they're, maybe they're, they're going to fall. Of, they're the positivity. They're falling under the pivot to positivity section of this podcast. Just... What is wrong? What is going on right now? We have gotten accustomed to seeing. I think what might be wrong is that Russell Wilson injured his finger and and isn't the same quarterback. He did climb above negative CPOE for the first time since the injury with that final drive. But he looked like Russell Wilson for a while on that drive to a certain extent. I mean, it it does seem like, uh, you know, I tweeted during the game that it's the intermediate throws that are giving him difficulty, but maybe even more specifically than that, it's really anything that is a timing play. Anything that's more of a just draw it up and go, kind of draw it in the dirt and go kind of thing seems to work better for him. And that's what that final drive more or less. There was one throw in the final drive. I can't remember what it was where he just completely missed it. Um, But... In general, it felt like he he felt a little bit back in that drive and then throws the pick on the two-point conversion. You're just like, ah, Russ is still not quite there, but it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I don't think that was on Russ. If that was Shane Waldron's best two-point conversion call... And they haven't run a single two-point conversion. I know, where the fuck is John Donovan? Like, John Donovan, the one time they need a two-point conversion, draws up the best play the Huskies ran literally the entire season. Didn't even really need that one. He draws it up for that two-point conversion, and what the Seahawks got was slinging it back and throwing it to Ricardo. Uh, no, uh, to uh, Freddie Swain. Freddie Swain, you get the joke. Um, I, I see. But it's like uh, you get this one drive as a tease, and that's why you're kind of feeling like, I mean, it's felt this way through the entire fucking stretch since Russ got hurt. It's like, let's just get through this. Get through this, get through this, get through this. Russ will be back to normal at some point. 
And I think the questions are, will Russ be back to normal at any point this season? And I mean, ultimately, it doesn't really matter yeah, I mean, whether he this is. season it no longer matters. The question is whether he's going to be back to this point beyond this season is, and whether is, he's going to be back beyond this season. Is Russell Wilson broken permanently? I, I think it felt to me like he's a little, I think he's a little bit nervous. We've never seen Russell Wilson get injured. Like, I mean, has Russell Wilson been injured at any time in his post high school career, basically? Like he had the play where Sue injured him in week one in 2000, right. whatever year that was. 2000, they all run together. But like the, other than that, we haven't seen him get injured and he seems, I don't want to say gun shy. That's not the right word, but it does feel like if there's pressure around him, like the way that he's adjusting his throws, he's really scared. It feels like of hitting his hand on somebody's helmet or something like that. Yeah, it could be that there's an issue with the follow through on those type of plays when there's pressure up the middle in particular. But but also there's some of these plays just kind of the out routes to Gerald Everett. And it's a lot of the third down plays, which I think, you know, they were struggling on third down when when was when Wilson was healthy early in the season. Uh, but. You know, the, a lot of these third down plays, it's more of these timing routes where it, his timing is just a little bit off or the mechanics are off and he's sailing it over Gerald Everett's head every time. Russell Wilson should be able to have taken the time off that he took and come back and still be able to make those plays at, at this point uh, after practicing for three weeks. I mean, we don't, you know, I've never played quarterback with a finger injury. I think it is possible that it could affect you differently on different plays and that it continues to affect him. And it might until, you know, he has an off season. I think that's very plausible. Well, the good news is the season ended today. <laughs> it's, uh, just, it's, it's just frustrating because. Yeah. It, this you, team is all in on winning each season during Russell Wilson's prime, including I mean, throwing away their they, first round pick. I don't know if they made a good decision trading those picks, obviously, but. No, I, I think we know whether they made a good decision. Trading it makes picks. sense to be going in when you have Russell Wilson, though. It makes sense to be going all in because he's not young. You know, like Russell Wilson is. No, 33, which he turned today. Happy birthday, Russ. Oh, God. Uh, not quite his 27th birthday, which, as I mentioned on the broadcast, was the game against Pittsburgh in 2015. One of my all-time favorite Seahawks games. It's just a different team. Like that team is not walking through the store. That's that team is gone. You know, the the whole infrastructure of that team. But even you look at the play that where there's a third down where I think he forced it into D Eskridge or somebody like that and it was dropped. And you could see DK be wide open. This was before DK had a target. It's like, how do you miss that, Russ? Like that's just I not mean, a play that you he misses. And Pete Carroll was as aggressive as I think we've ever heard talking about it post game. Uh, here's his quote. Uh, the film doesn't lie, you know. We're missing some stuff. I felt like there's some guys open tonight with some chances and unfortunately didn't pick it up. But it's it's more about than just Russell Wilson. There are so many problems with this team structurally and on the field that it's it's easy to blame Russell Wilson. He's the quarterback. He's going to get most of the blame, most of the credit. I get it. Uh, and we sort of reached the point where Russell Wilson is now taking blame, and he really wasn't for the previous couple of weeks. But, you know, poor play can't continue for too long. But, like, the run I mean, game... I mean, he's still within the period he was supposed to miss with the injury, to be clear. Sure. But the run game being completely non-existent in this yes. game helps not at all. I think the play calling ultimately was probably fine, but they are a very predictable offense. We did not get, we have not seen, and I think 
Shane Waldron might not be a good offensive coordinator. Like there, there is a legit possibility that just because he was affiliated with Sean McVay, he might have the same broken offense that Sean McVay has. With him. <laughs> there, I mean, it's fr- like it's tough to say. Again, I just don't think we can really evaluate him fairly on this season because of the fact that he's had, you know, he had four weeks of a healthy Russell Wilson, and that's we it. And they may looked not have good a for chance some of those weeks to evaluate him on any further seasons well you're going to be going into the season if russell wilson gets traded if he asks for a trade you're going to know that going in and be able to plan for that but they plan for a healthy russell wilson i don't i don't know how much you can adjust i'm saying shane waldron might not be back i don't think that shane waldron is going to be fired i i wouldn't i think that's fan talk It's it's within the realm of possibilities that Shane Waldron might be fired. But like you you look sure, at the play it calling. Sure, the any chance rule. You look at the play calling, and there's nothing thrilling about the play calling. Like I I understand, for the most part, what they're doing. It doesn't feel like he is elevating this offense with the play calling beyond what it could be or has been in the past with somebody like Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer. Like to me. This is, and we've seen some ugly years with both of those coordinators. We've seen some ugly games with both those coordinators, but especially when they couldn't run the ball. But like at this point, if you could trade Shane Waldron for Shoddy, Shoddy had more success, you know, like. Yeah, but he had Russell Wilson playing at an extremely high level. There's nothing that we've seen. The mo- Like the motion is mostly garbage motion. They do this like they basically a similar to shoddy thing where they send a player in motion super wide. At least they did it with D. Eskridge one time today. It's a lot of passes to Gerald Everett. Like when they're getting the ball downfield, it doesn't feel like they're really throwing into space aside from a couple of times to lock it. Like I, I just don't know what Shane Waldron is opening up that otherwise wasn't there. There's still, and maybe these are limitations with Russell Wilson. Maybe this is something that Russ, a Russell Wilson P. Carroll offense is ultimately going to look pretty similar, no matter who the offensive coordinator is. And it cannot be changed that much, but the places that you would like, to, I mean, you saw that fucking ball that Taylor Heineke hit to, was that Deandre Carter where it seemed like it ended the game, the third down that they dropped over the top of the Seahawks. I guess it was a fourth down even where they dropped it over the top of the Seahawks defense, like perfectly in, to DeAndre Carter, and you're just like, God damn it. Why is that not a play that's in the Seahawks playbook? Why are there no plays getting the ball out? It's just like, it's a lot of fucking Gerald Everett. I mean, <sighs> there's not I a lot of substance to it. I, I have a take here. One yes. of the complaints from Seahawks fans is not enough DK Metcalf, who had did not have a catch until the final minute of this game. Talk to DK Metcalf fantasy drive. owners. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people have the take that the Seahawks just need to throw the ball to DK Metcalf, no matter how he's covered. That's what the Packers do with Devontae Adams. We saw some success from that, maybe during the Geno Smith era and particularly in the Jacksonville game. But in the three games since Russell Wilson came back, DK Metcalf has been targeted 20 times and has a total of 70 receiving yards for 3.5 yards per target. I'm not saying that's DK Metcalf's fault necessarily, but the idea that just DK is the kind of player that you can just throw him the ball no matter what and good things are going to happen, that's not true. DK, good things happen when DK Metcalf gets open. That's I when mean, good things happen. I Honestly, at this point, comparing Devonta Adams and DK Metcalf is not a fair comparison. Devonta Adams is probably But people the make that comparison. But like, he also is playing with Aaron Rodgers, who at this point is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson right now. But I think what, and, and what people are saying is that part of why Rodgers is better is because he just throws the ball up to 
Devontae Adams and lets Devontae Adams do things. Devontae Adams is open when he throws the ball to him. You could picture it in your head. Devontae Adams in space. He runs angled past a receiver for like 40 yards. We've seen it. We saw it against the Rams yesterday. The Seahawks. He does it to the Seahawks every single year because somehow we play the Packers every year. But Well, good news. (laughs) I think we're playing the Packers next year. That's good. (laughs) I mean, this is not the positivity part of this If you were... But with the on DK Metcalf, if you're going to be dumping the ball off for these short gains or just hope somebody breaks a tackle plays, those are going disproportionately to DJ Dallas, to Gerald Everett, occasionally to D. Eskridge. Would you rather see those plays to DK Metcalf? Who's more likely to break a fucking tackle? I suppose I would rather see those go to DK Metcalf. And it's, it's not, it does not seem to be in the game plan. It, a lot of it is very perplexing, but... If the Seahawks do keep Russell Wilson, you can already read Bill Barnwell's column from August 2022 talking about the Seahawks as a regression candidate. Fourth place schedule. Oh, yeah. Lost a number of close games. The terrible luck on third down, which just can't possibly continue. All of these factors set up for the Seahawks being better than everyone think they think they are next year if they can keep Russell Wilson. Oh, it's yep. great at podcasting. I, I just, I don't know Love what to say. Dinner. I agree. I guess we just have to get to there. And there's so many unfortunate things that are going to happen before then. And not having a first round pick being a huge part of it. There's not a lot of cap flexibility. You know, you look at what the Patriots did this offseason. I mean, there is out. a lot of cap flexibility. There's also a lot of free agents, including Quandre Diggs, who uh, had a big play tonight to help set up the Jamal Adams interception. But you look at what the Patriots did in free agency. They made four, five signings that all hit for the most part and it sort of i think reframed at least for me what free agency can look like you can take free agency and make the right moves and make yourself into a contending team through via free agency and it's something that the seahawks basically have not participated in for multiple years uh they also have forfeited most of the last three or four drafts um there's just there's a void of talent on this roster i agree though that there is enough talent and there's Russell Wilson and a fourth place schedule. Like we've never got the Seahawks have never had the privilege of a good schedule of an easy schedule. They have not had a fourth place schedule. I'm pretty sure since 2009 or 2010 Pete Carroll's first year as head coach. I want to say when they made the playoffs years. at seven and nine. Yes. Okay. Very different NFC West than exists now. Good God. In, in 2010. Uh, but I also the refereeing. Come on. Are you kidding me? The first half refereeing, they gave Washington a touchdown. Like, that first touchdown was an illegitimate touchdown that was scored. That holding penalty, how late do you think that hold came in? I, mean, I thought it was, it was on the very the punter next... came onto the field. That's, that's I thought it was, it was on the very next play. I was like, wait, we held... I think I like went to the kitchen or something. Came back and it was like, oh, there must have been a hold on the punt, I guess. And they're sending the offense back out there. The announcers didn't even know what was going on. And then they show a replay of it. You're assuming if they went back that far and called this holding penalty, that it would have been pretty clear and obvious. And there's no holding penalty. Yeah, you would have figured it's like the NFL called in from New York to signal this. Literally, what happened? Where's fucking Jim Miller with an oral history of that play? Like, And then it immediately led to the first Washington touchdown. Game script-wise, the Seahawks got fucked in this game. Because of that penalty. There was the Carlos Dunlap offsides. 
if you go off sides and get back and nobody moves from the offensive side of the ball, that happens over and over and over again. In this particular scenario, they waited, waited, nobody moved. I went back and reviewed it to see whether somebody moved. So it did not cause a false start that would have stopped play. Went back and then called a neutral zone infraction. It's like, why? He wasn't, it wasn't unabated to the quarterback. There was nothing. He jumped off sides and came back. Why do you blow that play dead? What is like literally what is happening? There was the other, there was the first down that Washington got where I looked at it again. And I think that was on the second series. There was a little like flare pass and it looked like he was tackled. I can't remember who it was. Looked like he was tackled a yard short, but I, I viewing it again. I think they did make it on that first down. Ultimately, the Seahawks didn't play well, but getting getting that touchdown the way that they scored that touchdown, having the defense be on the field for that much longer, being demoralized, the Seahawks were looking good at that point. And it was just gone in a flash. That touchdown was a crucial touchdown, game script-wise, in this game. And allowing that to happen because of that holding penalty is fucking absurd. Same thing on the next play. They call another hold. I don't even think they showed what the Seahawks hold was. They looked at the Washington one that was mm, offsetting. I think that, one, I think that oh. one they did look at and was more legitimate. If I recall correctly, you were thinking at least, Hey, maybe this is a makeup call for that garbage call they had beforehand. Nope. Doesn't matter at all. Game script wise. I think a thing that from this game, like obviously it's not as important as the fact that the Seahawks could not move the ball the entire second half until the final two minutes. Again, a play that was more pivotal than it's going to get credit for was Alex Collins fumbling when they were on the move up seven three. Like that, the game could have been totally no different. shit. But they managed to call holding on that play on the Seahawks too. That one gets that lost. Is true, that's a good point. So that that play would have come back, but I, I mean, there just, was a hold on and, that one. That was one I could see see watching the play live. Like and it was fumble luck. There was a, like that ball. He fumbles it. Could have easily it bounced to was that Freddie Swain. And Freddie Swain, it looked, involved in this game. it looked like Freddie Swain was going to scoop it up, catch it, and go down. You're like, okay, thank God. Nope. Bounces out of his hands, straight to Washington. They muff a punt, easily recover that fumble, which the Seahawks could have recovered. They were in a position, maybe that was Freddie Swain again, who was in the position to recover that, that muff punt. It's just like they got... You, you didn't even mention Taylor Heineke gets hit as he's throwing and fumbles, and it's caught as a pass by Antonio Gibson. I think that was a pass, but yes, the, the chances of that no, ball, That was a fumble. I mean, it was going of, forward, so it wouldn't have been a fumble. I, well, I guess but if his hand was... Yeah, it, we would have been a complex replay. I don't know if we saw it. They, they did, motion. ultimately, the, the touchdown that was called on the field at the end of the game that allowed for all this craziness to happen after. It, I was pretty surprised when they overturned that one. Same. So... My main hope was that maybe he didn't gain possession until he was out of the end zone and they would rule him down at like the one foot line. Uh, that rule that happened, that was an incomplete pass. Actually, you wouldn't believe this does not apply to Kevin King. So <laughs> thank you for that one. It's just like when the Seahawks get a break, they're still fucked. And it's really, I mean, you talk about the Joey Sly thing. Think about that series of events. That led to it was well, like not having a kicker is a, the best thing that could possibly happen to the Seahawks. Actually, those, not having a punter in their case, being being down eight points meant that the Seahawks they were down by two possessions that entire second half. When Washington got that two point conversion, it's like the game's fucking over. We know the game's over. If they score a touch, if they would have scored a touchdown earlier, Pete was going for one. You could see it. You could see it in his eyes, thinking in his head, "We're going to need two scores now." He wasn't going for two there, so he already he was just outclassed from the very beginning. 
when we that haven't even talked happened. about punting at fourth and on fourth and one from your own thirty-six. <sighs> I mean, if you're so frustrated that your offense isn't possessing the ball longer and that your defense is oh, on the, the one field where, so long. where he sent the offense out there and then punted. No, or... that was that was at the end of the half. It wouldn't have really made like sense to go for pretty it. Pretty bad decision. Although they he, they didn't have a he, kicker. He yeah, it might have, have made sense from it. the Joey Sly standpoint. So I, I don't know if he realized how serious the injury was at that point. But the if your offense is having a tough time staying on the field and extending drives and your defense is on the field too long, here's one possible way to keep your offense on the field longer. It's to go for fourth down. But it, does, I'm it just, doesn't matter. I'm just tired of having this argument over and over again. No, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Well. This, this is what it is. I, Pete Carroll will be back next year. You know, Mike Sean had a tweet where he was like, one of Schneider, Russ, Pete is going to go. And I just, I don't buy it. I think the Seahawks will probably go on a little mini run at the end of the year. I mean, you could see the schedule built up for them. They're not going to finish third or fourth to last in the NFL. They're going to rattle off some wins. They'll beat a team that they shouldn't beat. They'll beat the Rams or whatever. Play spoiler. Maybe, maybe they should beat the Rams. Oh, but, no. But like, and then ultimately they'll end up 7-10. and 10. Everybody's going to come back and it'll be frustrating, but they will have the, they'll have the luxury of some flexibility this offseason and a much easier, an easier schedule than they've ever had. It just sucks that we have to, as a fan I, I talked about this constantly. The most exciting... It just sucks to have all these games that don't really matter. I mean, I think the only possibility of Pete Carroll getting fired is if Russell Wilson says it's him or me. And even then, I think they would probably still choose Pete Carroll. It's, uh, I, th- there are 31 organizations in the NFL who would make a different decision. John Schneider, I think, is probably actually... Probably not Mac Jones. If Mac Jones is like, it's me or Belichick. <laughs> I don't know. Mac Jones has a lot more years left than Belichick. It is true. <laughs> Pete and Russ. I don't know. I don't know. He's got more years left. <laughs> the. I mean, I think John Schneider. The, the the argument is the strongest for him being ineffective in his role, even just, with Pete Carroll's in-game foibles. But Pete, Pete just would have signed an to extension tr- last year, and Pete would have to turn on John Schneider. It would. It would no. have to be. I mean, I, there are some situations where people have been forced to sacrifice some people that were close to them to keep their own jobs. That's happened before in the history of pro sports or college I, sports. I mean, if it were this offseason, they were like, Pete is no longer involved in decision-making, personnel decision-making, and we're turning it over to somebody else. I could see it happening. I mean, the personnel isn't good enough, ultimately. But, like, it's just, you know, it's interesting like I don't, I don't think that Jordan Brooks is. He's definitely not a bust. He's on the field, right? Which we can't say for Rashad Penny, obviously, because of current injuries. But even before then, Rashad Penny and L.J. Collier, I think, are legitimately can be considered busts of draft picks. Jordan Brooks is on the field at the very least, and he had showed promise tonight. He successfully defended a screen pass, made some great, great tackles over the course of this game. Uh, the jury is very much still out. It's more just the decision to take an off-ball linebacker there, especially at a position that was a, a strength with KJ Wright. And they're That's using the in coverage constant. There was a play in coverage where it's like Benson Mayo had dropped. It's just like, why? Why is this how they view defense? I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of plays where Benson Mayo had drops. It's just it is the incorrect way to view defense in general. Have secondary players se- play secondary. It's all wrong. We have we have our secondary players pass rushing, and our <laughs> and our defensive linemen playing 
in coverage. It's just, it's all off. The whole scheme is off. Hearing Brian Greasy be like, they're going to have to move to more man. It's like, dog, I don't, is this your first time watching this team, Brian Greasy? You know, it's like, this is what it is. This is the defense. It's always been the defense. It's always going to get picked apart by Taylor Heineke. When we I, saw his, his efficiency the last couple of weeks, and look, he's not gaining a bunch of yardage. That's what kills the Seahawks. Throw it deep. Try to throw it deep. That's fine. We can defend that. Intermediate crap, cannot defend it. Can't run it, can't defend it. Seattle sports teams, uh, Seattle football teams, I should say, this weekend, allowed 80% completions by opposing passers. <laughs> Collectively. Jaden Deloria and Taylor Heineke. 79% for Heineke, 81% for Jaden Delora, which was the second highest in the sportsreference.com database for a UW opponent. So do we want to pivot to talking about that? Sure. So the Apple Cup, oh, it was God. the largest margin of victory. I hate that you can take Cougars. a W. It makes it even worse that you get to take a Sam Heward W. I'm not taking a W on Sam Heward. Well, I'm t- I am taking a W on Sam Heward. <laughs> Get it? Uh, the 27 point margin for Washington State was larger than their last six Apple Cup wins combined, a stretch that dates back to 1997. So it was very bad. I mean, honestly, I think the defense was actually worse relative to expectations than the offense in this game. This was me saying this at the game and after the game, and then you disagreeing with me. Now you're making my point. <laughs> I'm taking credit for it too. Wow. Uh, the fact that they continued to deploy the game plan that Jimmy Lake had successfully utilized against Mike Leach over and over and over again, despite the fact that it was clearly ineffective with the current personnel against an offense that is not, in fact, an air raid offense. It's a run and shoot offense. They're People similar, seem very they're confused different. by that. They can see that the jerseys are the same, but they're confused about who the coach is. I mean, a lot of people described Kalen DeBoer's offense as an air raid, and I don't think it is. I, I couldn't find a lot of evidence for that one. Uh, oh, I, I understand it. Jaden Lore actually completed 84% of his passes. By oh, the there way. we go. Thank you. Oddly, the only better completion game against UW in since 2000 was by BYU's Tanner Mangum when he went 18 of 21 in a game the Huskies won 35 to 7 in 2018. Wow. Uh, that's the, Husk- the defense when it works, though. When, yes. when that defense works, that's what, how you do it. But also, Huskies- that, that completion percentage. Kraken! <laughs> Are you kidding keep, me? We, You're we talking about the Kraken count red, too. A worse, uh, I mean, those completion percentages on their own deserve a Kraken. I mean, the real issue, though, the Huskies didn't record a sack in this game. They had averaged 3.7 per game in their Apple Cup winning streak. It was the fourth time in 2021 that UW did not record a sack, the most in a season since 2008 when they went 0-12. So a topic that's going to come up again in this podcast. We're going to get to it. I mean, offensively, look, we saw what was evident from Occam's Razor all year long. Sam Heward was not ready to compete at this a Pac-12 is you ta- level. This is you taking a victory lap? Yes, that, that's <laughs> that's me taking it. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be ready. It doesn't mean that he's going not going to be ready next season with, you know, a year in, a full year in a new system under Kalen DeBoer that presumably will be better suited for his talents. They'll either have taught him t- how to take a snap under center or have a bunch, have gotten rid of the plays 
from under center and therefore not have to just take that entire section out of the playbook when they play him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, the, I know you viewed it as more important to just kind of see what the Huskies have with Sam Heward in the future, but the Apple cup is a big game. It means something. And well, I'm happy for the Wazoo players who had to get, you know, beat repeatedly year after year with Mike Leach as their head coach and have been through so much this season with Nick Rolovich's firing. Still, you never want to lose that game. Yep. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I care that. less about, about the losing the Apple Cup aspect of it. It's just like, I, I've gone to such great lengths to remove myself emotionally from the outside factors around sports fandom and i think in particular the rivalry factors just make me so deeply uncomfortable of human beings who have really ultimately nothing to do with the sport that's happening you know like the amount that you can influence it is i pretty laughable i would say like maybe well, it's the laughable te- if nobody else cheers in the stadium the teensiest amount well look nobody else is cheering even when the team is good so it doesn't matter but that you can you there can were maybe more people it. not cheering when the team was good. I, I'm pretty skeptical whether there's a correlation between fan noise and team success. Oh, definitely you see greater home field advantage with larger crowds, since home field advantage is almost exclusively made up of refereeing. Is this true in the year 2021? Well, I mean, I think part of the issue is that crowds are not as large in the year 2021, and they tend to be more mixed because it's easier for non-home fans to get tickets. But I still think the I I still think the general principle holds. The I I love shit talk. There's something about the attitude of shit talk around sporting events being there. Like I walked in to the Apple Cup, and there was just there was an there was an element in the air where I was like, this whole situation makes me feel uncomfortable. The and minute that was that I, before the fist fight broke out 10 and rows in front of us. We're in the East End Zone. A fucking brawl breaks out in front of us. The Husky staff are not even present. There's nobody there. It's such a failure of the Husky football team on the field. But especially, most importantly, something you can control is not having people openly fist fight in the stands. And I had to personally go and find a fucking attendant to come and try to break this up. It was something where the just everything about how the university of Washington runs this program is so haphazard and the game day experience, it's an awful game day experience. And you act like you're surprised that people don't want to go to these games, right? Like, was it fun? When was the last time you had a fun time aside from the idea of having being around other human beings and camaraderie and being able to see water behind you? Not the water that's pouring on your head as rain, but like when was the last time you had a fun time at a Husky football game? We're not counting the Michigan game. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the 2019 Apple Cup was probably a pretty fun experience, but that that does seem pretty tied to the play on the field, no, doesn't it? I. It just sucks. It sucks going to the games. You can't blame people. I was even thinking about this too, where I was like, the people who are sitting around us, I think most of them are not UW alums. 
And there's like these families who aren't UW alums. And that's what I really love about like Husky football is there's these generations of, you know, parents and kids who are going to football games together. And that's awesome to see. But ultimately, if people are openly brawling in the stands, I'm not trying to take children to this situation. You know, like, can yes. they not can they not control that? I remember being in an Oregon game with Luca there and I was like, this feels kind of uncomfortable. Right. Because they are so bad at controlling the stadium. They're so bad at the flow of traffic around. And it just, I think it was a wise decision to add beer to the stadium this year. I don't think that's why people fought. They fought because the culture around rivalries in college football is fucking stupid. And I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's unique to college football. But it's, it's may I, more may I pronounced. you to a sport called soccer? It's more, at least soccer, you can, there's like, there's something a little bit more like historical when it comes to soccer where you look at these cities like in england there are two cities that are five miles from each other or whatever and have competing soccer teams we're talking yeah, hundreds of years the, of history sometimes the stadiums between the two teams are literally separated by a park and <laughs> yet you know there's such strong identities and emotions tied to these teams even I, though it's the person who it's not someone even from a different city it's not even someone from a different neighborhood it's could be the person right your next door neighbor i i agree the idea that you would want to like go into the situation and again i think shit talking is like it's fun to be able to do that and i'm pro the idea of shit talking it's fine. That's whatever. But it's just like this element where you're like, I'm so angry about these other people playing a sport that I need to fight a person who doesn't agree, who just cheering for a different person playing a sport in front of me. It's bonkers to think about. And it happens all the time. It's the most frustrating part about sports to me. And that's why I'm just like, I have to emotionally remove myself from this idea of building out your identity based upon your fandom of a sports team or that you're so worked up about it that you're willing to have a physical altercation with somebody. It is just, it's fucking bananas. I mean, obviously there's a larger question of whether you can have kind of positive identities without implicitly having negative opposite personalities so that i mean this is you know tribalism dates back all of human history has taken a variety of different forms in modern society maybe is is most most evident publicly in sports i i do think there's a way to have a positive i associate myself with this school i'm a fan of this school without inherently having i hate other schools Especially if you subscribe to the Win Forever philosophy. You love your opponent. And just ignore all of the stuff in there about fourth downs. <laughs> Is there stuff in Win Forever about fourth downs? <laughs> Not specific. <laughs> <laughs> to win forever, you do it on three downs. <laughs> it, it, the pyramid only has three levels. <laughs> you know what I did when the Seahawks lost that game today? What'd you do? I went up in the fucking pitch black onto my roof. And I hung Christmas lights like I was Clark damn Griswold. Wow. And I was just like, I just, I need to be all alone in the one place that no children can find me. And that is like <laughs> 50 feet in the air on the roof. I, I did like, by the way, on the broadcast, they mentioned that 
Pete Carroll was aggressive on fourth downs at USC. And the explanation was because they were winning by so much all the time. And it's like, well, that's actually the opposite. You need to go for fourth downs way more when you're an underdog. And I think Pete Carroll may not, may not be good, very good at coaching underdog strategies at this point. I, I just ultimately with, with the Huskies, it, whatever, you know, like the, it sucks to lose the Apple cup. I get it. It's, it's nice to see Wazoo get a win. Like, you know, ultimately for, to have a good rivalry, sometimes the other person needs to win occasionally. Right. Things will be that's sorted. what gets their hopes up. Things will be sorted into the rightful order of things very soon. Like, uh-huh. very you know, soon. I mean, next season, like I, I have no doubt that this Husky team will be significantly better than Wazoo's team next year. I'm personally not, not a Dickert guy. I think they really whiffed on the hire. I, uh, I have substantial doubts about that. And and you look about them whiffing on that? About UW, well, yes. But also about UW being better than Wazoo. They're a better team than Wazoo right now, talent-wise. They just they Oh, were... that was my recruiting rant from earlier. I never oh, got yeah, let's to that. Hear it. Let's hear it. Like, oh hey, hey, everybody who's obsessed with recruiting. Tell me what the recruiting rankings were of all those Wazoo players that just kicked the ass of UW's players up and down the field all game. Huh. Looks like maybe something besides recruiting rankings matters a little bit in terms of coaching football. I don't know. That's what I observed. Maybe recruiting isn't deterministic. What was the recruiting rankings of those Utah players who beat up on Oregon? Well, I guess we'll see a rematch of that on Friday. Uh, that, that was my recruiting rant. Now I, imagine this rant being yelled at absolutely no one while we're in the East End Zone <laughs> oh. <laughs> with basically nothing but Wazoo fans around us. That's being yelled at you. Uh, <laughs> I do, I would, speaking of the Apple Cup, I would like to take up Max Borgie. I don't know how to contact him on and make a bet on the idea that the Apple Cup trophy is never going to come back to Never Seattle. coming back. Never coming back. I mean, maybe if the schools give up football at some point in the near future. Max Otherwise, Borgie I think it's sounds... unlikely that Wazoo is just going to win every game in the rest of the series. He sounds like he's infiltrating the elections offices of every swing state to make sure oh, that it happens. Oh like, that's that's what Max Borgie sounds like. It's like, look, you know, maybe if they do that, then the trophy will never come back. Jane Delora. Jane Delora. <clears throat> is it Delora? Delora. Jane yes. Delora. Uh, three-star recruit. I had to go look that up. I mean, he looked awesome in that game. UW's defense looked absolutely awful. It just felt like it felt like the UW team was ready for the season to be over. And I mean, there was an element like it turns out that things don't typically go well after you fire your coach mid-season in college that's football. That's why. That's why it like I just don't have too much emotionally invested in this game. It's kind of weird to have that much emotionally invested in the game. Bob Gray I had that much emotionally invested in the game. I just was hoping that the Huskies would be competitive. Is that it too just, much to ask? You're just going out there and having some fun and watching Sam Heward. Ultimately uh, every Sam Heward drive was fun because we'd never seen Sam Heward play before. And that's why, because new things are fun. And ultimately most of those Sam Heward drives ended in interceptions including sometimes the ones that ended in touchdowns, still eventually ended in interceptions on, on the two-point conversion that they had. But it was like, <laughs> there, there's, it's interesting how much, I mean, we didn't really talk about Sam Heward. The things that Sam Heward does, he has a phenomenal arm. Sam Heward has an excellent arm. And he has perfect form. He's able to move around in the pocket probably better than almost any freshman quarterback that I've seen. Yeah, it's like, usually a big adjustment. <clears throat> he 
is not a great decision maker. Like going through his reads, I think is really tough for him. And maybe it's because he was always in high school so much better than the opponents or something like that. Well, I think also because his receivers were so much better. I mean, all or, his or, receivers ended up playing in the Pac-12. And if if you have if your first option at receiver at Kennedy Catholic is uh, the hated Kennedy Catholic, tight high school baby. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you were beyond totems. rivalries. <laughs> I'm not, not beyond rivalries. I'm beyond the idea of getting so worked up about the idea of a, a rivalry that you're like wanting to fight with people. It is okay. just like there, there is, there's a to- being fucking red faced, looking gross and sweaty. You know what I mean? Just like have some cool about you. <clears throat> but when Wazoo people were like shit talking us as we were leaving, it was just like you know what? The, fuck it, you've earned this, right? Like. The, you have earned the right to do this right now. The storming the field also. Do you have any thoughts on that one? I talked about it on Twitter. I, I Look, my feelings are knowing on this. I don't want to get into it. Sam Heward, though. It makes me sound petty. He has. It's just all like, who cares, dog? Just storm the field. Have fun, Wazoo. It doesn't no, it's like matter. Christmas creep. <clears throat> the more if, you storm the field, the less it means to storm the field. It means it nothing. Mean no something. one cares. It means something to those people who storm the field. They'll be like the one time that Wazoo beat UW in the last 25 years we stormed the field. Good for you. You beat fucking Junior Adams and Bob Gregory. Have fun. You beat Sam Heward in his first ever season. Like, I, it just, it means nothing. Great. It's not an impressive win. Was this an impressive victory for Wazoo? This wasn't exactly. Uh, I think the margin was impressive for certain. Okay. It'll be a nice thing for Wazoo to talk about, and we will never speak of it again. Because <laughs> I who sure cares? Hope so. But it's just like they didn't fucking beat Chris Peterson. They didn't beat Jake Browning. They beat Sam Heward and Bob Gregory. It'll be it's a footnote. That's what this game is. That's why I, it doesn't matter. I think it's more than a footnote. I disagree with that assessment. I, I think Sam Heward probably needs reps. He needed to throw those interceptions. For for the world to be right and true, Sam Heward needed to throw those interceptions. Uh, he's got a lot more football to play, it really looks like. And I think that's the piece. It's the I think it's probably the hardest piece to coach, like uh, teaching good form and having a good arm. It is ultimately, I think, a lot easier than the decision-making process of it, oh, yeah. uh, aspect because of it. Because it's what you can't, you can't rep in a drill. You need live action for it. That's why I was saying that Sam Heward should be playing. But again, the evidence doesn't necessarily show that that live action being in a game matters, as opposed to that live action being in practice. I I'm le- last week on this podcast, you said that you think that the next UW, that the starting quarterback for UW in 2022, is not currently on the roster. And last week, I thought there was no chance that that's the case. This week, I think there is a possibility. That that's the case. I wouldn't be shocked if Kalen DeBoer went out and found somebody. Is that no longer eligible as a bold prediction then? No. All right, I'll have to come up with another one. You've got a month. But don't you agree that I I think this moved the needle on that? I still think the chances of Sam Heward being the starting quarterback for UW next year are extraordinarily high. But I wouldn't be shocked with the combination of Kalen DeBoer coming over and as somebody who. (laughs) You thought they were going to promote Bob Gregory before? <laughs> no, no, no. It just You didn't know who the coach was going to be necessarily. If it was someone <laughs> defensive-minded rather than offensive-minded? 
the the other thing i don't know if we're going to talk any more huskies after this or this is it i was I thinking think about on the emergency podcast you said that jake hayner ranked whatever 41st and 45th in qbr and i was thinking about that and we know that qbr drastically overrates running and you think about how many running quarterbacks there are in all of college football when you look at actual passing it does but i think it's i think it's much more about the conference level of play i mean that's it's not like there's like five other quarterbacks in the mountain west that are better than him he's number two in the mountain west and the number quarterback ahead of him is not a runner it's our old friend Hink Backmeyer from Boise State who started the uh, Las Vegas Bowl and was dreadful in the Las Vegas Bowl, but now has become an extremely good quarterback. Is he still at Boise State? Yeah. That's 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 the way it goes. Sam Heward needed this in route to the Sam Heward. What year, what year will it be? 2024? Sam Heward Heisman campaign in 2024. Well, if there is a Sam Heward Heisman campaign, I know I guess it was, there was a Sam Heward Heisman campaign in 2025. Thank the fact that he redshirted this year. <laughs> Should we talk to the, about the next Seattle sports oh, team, whose season ended in ignominious fashion last week, last Tuesday night? Seattle Sounders opening round of the MLS Cup playoffs. Out Kraken! Oh, you, no, you had to say for after this stat. That's three, okay. by the way. Okay. They outshoot Real Salt Lake twenty-one-zero. Through 120 minutes of action, Real Salt Lake does not attempt a single goal, yet manages to force a shootout and wins that shootout. Cold play! Oh, there it is. There it is. I feel like I'm much more into the Macklemore curse than you are. Maybe we'll get there. There's all sorts of bad things that happen. That's true. So New virus Salt- dropped this week. All this <laughs> and, and, the, and the new strain dropped this week. Oh, boy. Uh, Real Salt Lake was playing this match without midfielder Albert Ruschenhack, who led the team with 11 assists and also scored 11 goals during the regular season. He tested positive for COVID-19 and was unavailable. So that led Real Salt Lake to play very defensive. The bus was not only parked, they they put on the emergency brake. They had, they had the club on there. That bus was not going anywhere under any circumstances. And the Sounders had a tough time breaking through that defensive shell, especially with uh, Nico Ladero did not play until the final 20 minutes of extra time in this match. Raul Ruiz sat out the first half due to his injury. Sounders did have some good moments, a shot off the post, the, which the post continued to be a uh, their, their toughest opponent during this stretch where they went the final seven matches of the season without a win. That in the McElroy banner. <laughs> Uh, he's an I owner mean, owner of the Sounders, correct? He is a part owner. Of the Maybe Sounders. they should find that banner and hang it in Lumen Field. Well, I don't know if he has he performed in Lumen Field. I mean, I saw him there earlier this year. Okay, oh, were the you Seahawks there? Game. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a sellout crowd for Macklemore. That game was sold out. There's sellout number one. <laughs> I've seen him. In fact, I've seen Macklemore multiple times at Seahawks games, and I'll tell you, every single time those games were sold out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, a lot of people were like critical of the Sounders attack. I really feel like this is more just this is a problem with playing single game playoffs in the sport of soccer. Soccer! (laughs) It's hard to complain too much about it. The Sounders really did have the most amazing park the bus, high profile park the bus victory of all time before this. They didn't have a shot on goal in MLS Cup in 2016 when they beat Toronto FC. Uh, 
but they did at least have some shots. They did at least possess the ball and shoot it, kick it at the goal at some point. At least it was really cold then. That's also true. That's a good point. And it felt like the, the Sounders were still going to find a way in the shootout. Stefan Fry saves a shot, but is ruled to have come off his line, which he did. And then after Kellen Rowe misses, it's 5-4, it was 6-5. They went all the way through the first five with both teams making all their attempts. After Kellen Rowe misses his, the, the final shooter for RSL, Fry gets a hand on it. It goes off the post and trickles into the net. It was, I, I mean, if you're somebody who subscribes to the Kraken curse, such as myself, you knew this was coming. I told you last week on the podcast, we knew this loss was coming. You could feel it. You could feel every single one of these losses coming, unless you're like me and you're an idiot and still believed in the Seahawks, thought they were going to run the damn table. Thank you for thinking that, Brain. But the, <laughs> I even thought it all the way through to the second onside kick. I was <laughs> I like, mean, we almost got like the second one. Second onside kick. I, I did not give up hope at any point until they didn't get the second onside kick. I mean, at some point during that final drive, I did the math and was like, well, even if they score the touchdown, they've still only got like a 25% chance of winning because they have to convert the two-point conversion and win in overtime. They still have to win in overtime, even if they do all that. Think about just, we're just talking the Seahawks again, but that ball that he that he tossed to Freddie Swain, it was just like, that's the Seahawks. I'm like, this is, wh- yes. where was this team? where's Freddie Swain wide open in all of the other weeks, in all of the other parts of the game? That is what we have come to well, know. There, there was the third down where he was wide open, but Russell Wilson forced it into DK Metcalf. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just, you know what I'm saying. And he I like know what you're saying. Russ tossed it perfectly, hit him wide open, boom, touchdown. Ah. <sighs> They only had, if they, ugh, whatever. We would have just had to sit and watch the defense blow the game. Although they didn't have a kicker, which I think would have given the Seahawks maybe an advantage in overtime. Anyway, if you're somebody who subscribes to the, the crack and curse, such as myself, you knew this loss was coming. And then when, when they called Fry, then they said that he uh, uh, left his line. I was just like, this game's over. Come on, people. It's the first time in franchise history the Sounders have ever failed to reach the Western Conference semifinals, which is kind of wild. Pretty amazing. I mean, there were only but, four teams made the playoffs for a long period of time in MLS when there were way fewer teams, so you advanced directly to the semifinals. What force would be powerful enough I, to for the first time in franchise history? I mean, that's a really long time, right? It's it almost is. like something happened this year that has cursed the entire city of Seattle sports world. I think the Kraken were represented in the street vacation vote also. The first street vacation vote. Lord. So as we look ahead to next season, probably a pretty similar Sounders team coming back. You would assume they tend not to make their bigger moves during the MLS offseason necessarily. Uh, Jordan Morris, you know, probably going to spend a full season here reproving his value before if he if he ever attempts to make the uh, leap over to Europe again after that that ACL tear unfortunately ended that opportunity uh, they have at least an option on everyone else of note for next season so seems 
you know, just going to hope for better health and, and everybody to kind of be together on the field at the same time, which really never happened in 2020, unfortunately, or 2021. Didn't happen in 2020 either, but that the, was a different story. The fortunate thing about this, if you're a Sounders fan, that we don't get to experience in sports like football is the season starts in like two weeks. It really well, especially next season, because they have to have the season wrapped up early because of the World Cup. Is they're playing the World Cup in December next year, which is a great idea. Definitely going to go great. Uh, so we'll we'll have more as they uh, exercise some of those options. The expansion draft coming up after MLS Cup before too long here, but uh, very unusual to have this stretch where MLS Cup games are being played and the Sounders are no longer involved in the playoffs. <sighs> Okay, so so we have three extraordinarily disappointing outcomes this season. I mean, the Huskies having their worst season in recent memory. You have the Seahawks basically out of playoff contention before it's even December. The Sounders, their first time ever not advancing to the Western Conference Division Series. Is that what it is? Semifinals. Semifinals. This has to be the worst era. Mm, mm, by the way, should we should we break in and do UW men's basketball here? Oh my God, no. <laughs> So they All got right, our fine. hopes up in the first two games in the crossover classic in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, beating the semi-host, de facto host, South Dakota State, 87-76, and a pretty impressive performance on Tuesday to move to 4-2 and two on the season, but then followed that up with an 81-62 loss Wednesday against Nevada in the final game of the crossover classic, and came home on Saturday where they lost 82-74 to Winthrop, having gotten his... Do you think that they'll fire that there's a chance that Mike Hopkins gets fired midseason also? Or could Jen Cohen just can't withstand that? I don't think he'd be fired midseason if, even if he got fired. Like that's only when things have to get really, really bad for that. To be to fired happen. midseason. You don't do you what do you think would you put the odds at right now, assuming there's like a four or five win pack twelve season? Forty percent? Not even past the fifty percent threshold. They did get a solid recruit. They got a four-star recruit from Garfield. So that's some exciting news. Okay. Hello. Recruiting actually matters. I'm much more interested in recruiting in college basketball than in football because there's way fewer players. Okay. So, and he'll just transfer or whatever. Well, <laughs> All the recruits you pay attention to will be on a different team later. So you never better know. start here than transfer back here, I suppose. Is it? At- I don't know. So after getting as high as number 120 in the Ken Palm rankings, after beating the Jack Rabbits, the Huskies have now dropped to a season low 147th after their back-to-back losses. Winthrop entered Saturday's game 2-3 and three with their lone Division I win at home over Mercer in overtime, having lost at Middle Tennessee State. After a hot shooting in their two crossover classic wins, the Huskies have been badly outshot from the field the last two games and continue to struggle with defensive rebounding, where they rank 328th in the nation per Ken Palm, and fouls, where they rank 331st. And the real bad news oh, no. <laughs> is the upcoming schedule, because oh, Pac-12 play is coming. Winter is coming. Pac-12 play is coming. And their two Pac-12 opponents this weekend are UCLA and Arizona, which is followed by a matchup with Gonzaga the following Sunday. Oh, no. All three opponents ranked in the Ken Palm Top 16. Oh, my God. They're playing the- UCLA and Arizona? to be- What kind of scheduling? What ha- what don't I understand about Pac-12 basketball scheduling anymore? So they have the 18-game schedule in the new calendar year. But then they decided to go last year to a 20-game schedule to improve their strength of schedule. And the other and two deci- teams decided to throw at UW, UCLA and Arizona is the extra two games. I mean, I suppose it's not the worst thing because it's the the teams like you would have played 
you play 20 of the 20, you played 10 of the 11 schools. Uh, you play nine of the other 11 schools twice. And then there's two you miss. So the odds of them, it's just that Arizona and UCLA happen to be in the one-off and they don't play Arizona State and USC twice. Does that make sense? Sure. So they, they were probably going to play Arizona and UCLA twice. It's just that two, these two games happen to be together at the start of the season and therefore seem even more formidable because the Wildcats are 6-0 and under former longtime Zags assistant Tommy Lloyd, having beaten Michigan by 18 last week in Las Vegas. They're number 11 in defensive efficiency in Ken Palm behind their huge front line of 6'11", Azulis Tabellis, and 7'1", Christian Coloco. UCLA was also in Las Vegas, where the Bruins were blown out by Gonzaga in a Final Four rematch 83-63 last week. Bruins otherwise undefeated, having won another early showdown at Poly Pavilion against Villanova in, U- in overtime, and their offense ranks eighth in the country with great balance. So, I, at least we get to watch those teams. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's something. I, I, I Yeah. Yeah, you would probably watch the UCLA game over the Seahawks game at this point. I don't oh know. Oh my god! Wow, they're playing at noon. The Seahawks game kicks off at one twenty-five. What about the Paulo versus Chet Holmgren showdown that happened last week? What are your takeaways? Did you watch that? No, it happened opposite the oh, Husky <laughs> football game. It did. Yes, I guess I got home in time to see like a tiny bit of it. Paulo played very well. He's I think he's probably the number one guy on draft boards right now. Now, Auburn's Jalen Smith has also played his way into the discussion. So it's kind of a three-man race, I would say, at this point. Interesting. Uh, they really found the one situation where I would cheer heavily for Duke. <laughs> <laughs> and a big win for Duke in that one after Gonzaga. Like, they throttled UCLA and looked like they were going to be the best team in the nation again. Uh, they also, also, Gonzaga struggled with Tarleton State earlier Monday before we recorded this podcast, they won by eight at home. They only won by eight. Yeah. Uh, I will be seeing Gonzaga in person on Saturday as they play in the battle in Seattle against Alabama back in the first, no, I guess it's not the first, the first Gonzaga basketball game at Climate Pledge Arena. There, there have been Seattle U games, but this is the first real college basketball game there. <laughs> have there been Sorry, Seattle, Seattle U games there? There have. So... Given all of this, this has wait, wait. to be. Oh, you know, women's basketball also went zero two last week in the Bahamas. They lost sixty to forty seven to Thursday and fifty eight thirty seven uh, to VCU on Thursday and fifty eight thirty seven to North Carolina on Saturday, with no players scoring in double figures and just thirteen points in the first half. Oh my God! Are your birds' heads also falling off? What else do you have? <laughs> oh, that's it. That's all I've got. Okay. Finally, this has to be the worst time. Cumulatively, in this, the Kraken curse has struck. This has to be the worst time in Seattle sports history. There could not, there could never be a time period that is this bad. Well, just as you reminded us a few weeks ago when we were talking about the worst week in Seattle sports history, and and going back to that uh, December week a few few years ago, where I ill-fatedly called it the biggest week in Seattle sports history, <laughs> you got to go back to two thousand eight. Always to really understand the worst time in Seattle sports history. I mean, it is truly shocking how bad Seattle sports were that year. 2008. All right, run us through 2008. What was it like? I was going to say particularly in the professional sports realm, but I guess not. So obviously the capper here, as you mentioned at that point, is that the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City after completing the worst year in franchise history at 20 and 62. 
UW football went 0 and 12, and Tyrone Willingham <laughs> was fired midseason. The Seahawks went 4 and 12 was in Mike Holmgren's final fired season. Midseason, he was yes. Wow. Yeah, this, that one was pretty bad. This synergy is re- who took over for Tyrone Willingham. Oh, I, that information is way gone from my brain. I think he coached. He was fired midseason, but continued to coach the team. Uh, so they're like, we're going to look for a new coach, but you just go out there and coach the team. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Okay, like, what, what happened with the Seahawks? They went 4-12 and in Mike Holmgren's final season. The Mariners lost 100 games for the first time since 1983 after oh, trading Adam Jones at all for Eric Bedard before oh, the season no. in an ill-fated deal. UW men's basketball went 16-17 and 17 and lost in the first round of the College Basketball Invitational. Which is really one of their worst seasons of the, like, of the Loro era at that point. After the being good era. Post, yes. Post-B-Roy era, let's say. Yeah, I mean, the previous year they had not made the NCAA tournament, but it, they were, like, shocked to not make the NCAA tournament. That was you that wrote and missed it. the free throws, right? No, that was much later. That was, that was oh. 2011-12, I believe. Oh. That was the year they won the Pac-12 regular season and didn't make the NCAA tournament. Something that, as bad as the Pac-12 has been, I still don't think we're ever going to see that one happen again. That was truly impressive. Uh, the Storm were the lone exception to this, going 20-14 and 14 under first-year head coach Brian Egler with five members of the WNBA's 25 at 25 after being purchased by a local ownership group. But Lauren Jackson was injured in the Olympics and missed the remainder of the season as the Storm lost in the opening round of the playoffs. Wow. I mean, we're, we're kind of on like a 13-year cycle here, right? Oh. Like the synergy is kind of incredible when you look at, I mean, we talked about earlier today on the Husky emergency pod of, unfortunately, there was no team that moved. <laughs> so <laughs> that hasn't happened. Uh, fortunately, 13 years later, the exact opposite happened and a team showed up and then ruined all of these other teams. But you have the synergy of Tyrone Willingham, the awful season and not that Husky football was necessarily great before then, but really bottoming out, not winning a game, Tyrone Willingham being fired. Uh, and then the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, which does feel eerily similar to this Kalen DeBoer uh, hire that we saw earlier today. Legendary coach made it to a Super Bowl, uh, uh, had kind of run his course on his career. His team got a little bit older. Fired at the end of the season. I think he, he wasn't, he really wasn't fired. fired. Yeah, he, he had already announced it was going to be his last season and then Jim Elmore was going to succeed him. Decided to move on move on as coach. It's making me if there is a synergy at all, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Pete Carroll is he has Pete Carroll has a different mindset than Mike Holmgren clearly has. Pete Carroll wants he wants to go out on top. He's a winner. Wouldn't be shocking to me. Shocking if Pete Carroll was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm moving on. The Mariners, there is not symmetry here. It was the Mariners. This was the year after they had their 2021, the last time around. And Eric Bedard may be the Robbie Ray of 2020. Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, the, The other good thing that happened in 2008 that should be mentioned is that the Sounders were introduced as an expansion franchise. Well, the other good news is that after 2008, there's always a 2009. That is true. And ultimately a 2010. Actually, I guess that's not true. They were introduced in 2007. Scratch that from the record. That wasn't good news at all. They they probably played (laughs) well in the the U.S. Open Cup, and we went to the game. So that was fun. And then lost in front of us. Yeah, but that was a good effort. No, that might have been the year they won. 
I think they won one of them, didn't they? It probably was in 2008. Maybe they won 2007 and lost in 2009. <sighs> so right, let's pivot to finding some hope. But but ultimately what I'm saying is that when you've reached the absolute bottom, well, for the Seahawks, this wasn't the case. It's not that you can only go up. It, maybe it takes a second. Maybe it takes a season in there. But ultimately, in the end, we didn't have to sit through that many bad Seahawks seasons. We were very fortunate through that time period. And hopefully that'll be the same case here. With the Sounders, this is a one-year blip. With the Huskies, that process has already started. I mean, it's not even a one-year blip. It was like a two-month blip. For the Sounders? Yeah. It was a one-year blip of not advancing to the semis. With the Huskies, that process has already started. There's already hope on the horizon in Kalen DeBoer. And I, I think it's important to consider that as things feel very bad right now, ultimately... Things are going to get better in Seattle sports. Russell Wilson likely will be on the team next year. Likely will look like Russell Wilson again. Kalen DeBoer is not going to be wearing a run the damn ball hat. It's probably, God, where was it? What was the game where somebody was wearing one of those hats? Uh, Was it the Eagles game? (laughs) I think it was a team that lost. (laughs) It might have been the Colts or somebody. It's like, yeah, it's it's in the game plan, dog. Like, you don't need to wear the hat. The plays will tell you. Like, Frank Frank Reich's got it. Uh, I, I think some people thought Frank Reich didn't have it because they didn't run the ball as much as they could have in the third quarter. <laughs> but ultimately, thing, things are going to get better. So it's it's good to consider some perspective that it has been this bad before. And it's been worse. Way worse. It's been substantially worse. No team has moved. Also, there was no Pelton cast in 2008. No, I guess there was Wow. Yeah. Making me miss 2008. Anyway. Let's talk about the bright spots in this current stretch of 2001. Starting with UW men's soccer, which got another hat trick from Dylan Tevez to beat number 15 seed Indiana 3-2 in extra time and advance to the Elite Eight. Tevez scored from outside the box a little more than six minutes into extra time for the golden goal. The Huskies... Advanced to host number 10 seed St. Louis Saturday at 5 p.m. with a spot in the College Cup in Cary, North Carolina on the line. We're finally doing the toast section of the podcast. We are, yes. Okay. So we're toasting to that. Uh, to you know women's volleyball, which unbeknownst to me, Hello. somehow stuck up on me, that they were in contention and won the Pac-12 championship for the second consecutive year, seventh time in program history with a 3-1 win over number 21 Washington State Saturday at Heck Ed. Take That's that, Cougars! Yeah, the Huskies won 17 of their final 18 matches after starting 0-2 to finish alone atop the conference at 17-3. They earned a number 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. We'll host a sub-regional this weekend, starting Friday against Brown with the winner of that match, facing the winner of Hawaii and Mississippi State on Saturday. Uh, from that UW volleyball team, LMA Powell was named Pac-12 Setter of the Year and was joined by Claire Hoffman, Samantha Drexel, and Maureen Grote on the all-Pac-12 team. This is not technically part of the positivity, but we're throwing this in here. Uh, Kate Otten, uh, a toast to him announcing that he's concluded his career at UW, surely entering the NFL draft. He'll finish up with 1,026 receiving yards and nine touchdowns, making him one of seven tight ends in program history with at least 1,000 yards and tied for fourth in career touchdowns at the position. Fourth round pick by the Colts. Oh, I, I think third. Third round pick by the Colts? Sure. Don't they already have a lot of tight ends? They're, they're going to love Kate Otten. Okay. 
It's going to go with Jack Doyle and Mo Alley Cox. Maybe the Chargers. That's not a very Seahawksy team. That's an interesting one. Uh, a major toast here to uh, Third Pelton brother Jake One as the song My Life featuring 21 Savage and Moray that he helped produce for J. Cole was nominated for both Best Rap Song and Best Rap Performance at this year's Grammys. The J. Cole album, The Offseason, also nominated for Best Album. There we go. That's also Tuckin' Taco time co-host. Jake one to you. Co-host? Guest? No, you're, there... the fifth, you're the fifth co-host. Okay. When you do it. At the time, he was the third co-host? <laughs> yeah, there were this many. Uh, lastly, former Seahawks Devin Hester and Ricky Waters among the finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. We should add Aramis as a permanent co-host. <laughs> I feel like he would do it. <laughs> he was definitely like just in hanging out to listen to Randy talk about the commercial. Do you want to move ahead and do your favorite segment? Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Well... You mentioned how bad everything was in 2008. And like I said, the best part about having a year like 2008 is that there is always a 2009. And guess what? That 2009 was a monster season for the Mariners. They went in out in free agency and spent big time on a who's who of let's remember some guys. Russell Brannion, David Ardsma, Mike Sweeney. Remember him? Franklin Gutierrez, Death of Flying Things, Ronnie Damsedanio, Ken Griffey Jr., Andy Chavez, and... You really buried the lead with Griffey there. With all of those acquisitions, they advanced all the way to the American League, third place in the ALS. <laughs> but most importantly, they improved by 24 games. And... I think with the recent trade for Adam Frazier and signing of reigning Cy Young winner, I think, Robbie Ray. Did I say his name right? Yep. Plus the future additions of Chris Bryant, Marcus Simeon, Stroman, the pitching one, Javi Baez, more players I might have heard of. A 24-game bump is the minimum we should be expecting for the 2022 <laughs> season. The modern man's 2009 which would put them comfortably in the playoffs at 114 wins. Wow, and even the Braves couldn't knock them out with 114 wins. If they don't get that increase, we can also hope for an offensive defense and some rule changes because the MLB is floating a seven-team playoffs. Statistically speaking, if they keep adding teams to the playoffs, the Mariners will eventually make it, and there is no better the year than 2022. Way to bring that one up. So we talked about the Robbie Ray signing on the emergency pod this afternoon. The move we didn't talk about was the Mariners trading minor league reliever Ray Kerr and outfielder Corey Rogier to the Padres for second baseman Adam Frazier, who was chosen an all-star last year with the Pittsburgh Pirates before being dealt to the Padres ahead of the trade deadline. Frazier slashed the 305 batting average, 368 on base percentage, and 411 slugging with four war last season, according to baseball references version. He's entering the final arbitration year of his contract. Uh, Kerr split last year between AA and AAA, while Rozier played A-ball after being drafted by the M's in the 12th round. We should also mention, there's not a lot of Seiya Suzuki buzz at this point. Yeah, what's doesn't, going on? Doesn't, doesn't seem like he's in the Mariners' plans necessarily, but a correction on the posting processes was pointed out by the listener last week. Uh, it is no longer the case that players who have earned enough you know, right to be major league free agents 
uh, still kind of gets sold to the to the team that makes the highest bid to their their Japanese team. Instead, they are free agents, but their previous Japanese team gets a portion of the contract that they sign in the major leagues. Can you give credit to who pointed that out? While I note, you can look that up. While I note, the Mariners are doing it right. What you want to do is go out and get players who had a career year the season beforehand. Those are the type of players that you can expect. They've reached a new level of their career, <laughs> and that's going to be the baseline. So I really commend them on this uh, trade for Adam Frazier and signing of Robbie Ray. That's wise. Wise as a front office. I mean, Frazier was kind of not that. The price wasn't that high necessarily. So I still think that was a pretty reasonable. Move. No, he, he was also pretty good before last year. Yeah, uh, it was Ben J. Miller, Miller at Ben Diddy on Twitter who noted that about the uh, posting process. He was worth four wins last year. Previously, it had been 2.7, 2.5 wins. So it's not like it was it was an increase, but it wasn't like uh, such a massive increase that you would say that it was a complete anomaly. Right. And it, wasn't a, it wasn't a huge outlier. It seems like the Mariners plan on using Adam Frazier is basically, I think I saw the term super utility thrown around. Yeah, there's some talk that they may platoon him at second base with uh, Abraham Toro and then also use him in the outfield where he's played as well. And it seems like, obviously, there are a lot of very good young prospects in the outfield, uh, coupled with Hanniger. Building out this depth, though, and being able to add a player like Adam Frazier, I think it's nice that the Mariners aren't sitting back and saying, this is this is the team. This team that we have is good enough. They're going out and making moves. And the Robbie Ray trade, or the Robbie Ray signing was definitely a big one. And if they do add anybody else, they're going to be a big one. But just kind of adding professional baseball players is a pretty huge deal at this point players are going to get injured you're going to need a lot of depth to get through this next season and i think ultimately you know you look at that toro trade that they had which worked out quite well for the mariners set them up during a season where they made a playoff run for the following season right and i think that's what you like to see with somebody like adam frazier uh, is that he can be he doesn't need to be an all-star with the mariners to still be a valuable player to the team correct Let's wrap things up with the surging, the red hot Seattle Kraken. Ever since they lost seven to three with me in attendance, but wow. then won the second game with me in attendance against oh, the Washington hello. Capitals. The Pelton they have been curse on fire. A two one win Wednesday at home against Carolina to wrap up their road trip. They lost the opener of their road trip. Uh, to cap their homestand, I should say. Lost the opener of their road trip three nothing Friday at the. Uh, the reigning Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, but then a 4-1 win Saturday at Florida. And Monday, the biggest offensive outburst in franchise history as they won in Buffalo with a uh, a, a franchise record six goals. Saturday, first shutout loss in franchise history. So that wasn't really part of the streak. But then they handed the Panthers their first home loss of the season and have now beaten, and after that stretch, had beaten three of the NHL's top four teams in the past 10 games of Carolina and Washington be the other, those two of those teams. Uh, they Monday in Buffalo, an exciting first period as they scored two shorthanded goals, having never previously scored one in franchise history. And then, as I noted, went on to uh, post the highest score in franchise history in that one. Got a got a late empty netter to make it. It was a uh, it, they they put a touchdown on the board seven four over the Sabers. Kraken. So they have climbed that out of last. That was a positive Kraken. <laughs> yeah, 
They have climbed out, climbed out of last place in the Pacific Division ahead of the rival Vancouver Canucks. Oh, wow. Still pretty low in, in the standings, all things considered, but moving in the right direction without question. So they'll wrap up this road trip on Wednesday. They have one more road game before heading back home for, I think, another extended homestand after that. I like that we're just not even previewing the 49ers. <laughs> I mean, what is there to say? Jimmy Garoppolo is playing really well. The Legend without, Mitchell, the running game is going well. Debo Samuel, I think, could change things. But, you know, we've seen the darkness, and the darkness is right now. And Yeah, we, we've seen way too much of the darkness. We've been enveloped by the darkness now. There's no, like, light to see after the darkness. Sometimes, There's no more light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you have to see the darkness for... An extended period of time. I, I think... Future seasons, this, I should say. The season is really important to put some things into perspective for some people. No, uh, for sure. We should not take for granted the value of Russell Wilson and the opportunity to watch him play at a high level for so many years. Or even just winning football, like even beyond Russell Wilson. I mean, I got to say Bobby Wagner. It'll be interesting to see how many more years he plays. Like, this is a this is a different... It's going to be a different Seahawks team. Uh, so it's nice to put some things into perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, it's been an incredible run for the Seahawks to go this long without, you know, they did miss the playoffs the one time in 2017, <clears throat> but to not have a losing record since 2011. I mean, that just doesn't happen in the NFL. We would kill for that 9-7 and seven this year. <laughs> we would be so happy for that 9-7, and seven, I mean, which that's... felt disappointing at the time. I guess it would have to be a nine seven and one this year. Do you think so? They're now three and eight. I'm going to be a homer here for a second, and just ask if they run the table. I don't think there's a zero percent chance they run the table. There are a couple of zero percent chance. There are a couple of very hard games in there. Obviously, at Arizona and at LA Rams are very difficult games. The rest, I think, are are winnable games. What do you think their chances are of making the playoffs if they run the table? I mean, the problem is you'd pass a lot of these teams that you're two games behind, which there are a but, lot of teams that they're but two they games don't, behind. But they don't—they have the tiebreaker with like nobody in that mix, only the Niners in this scenario. And the real problem is you—it's not enough to fire to pass like five of those teams. You have to pass all of them to make the playoffs and San Francisco who's three games out of them. So I, I think even if they won out, I still would only give them like a 45% chance of making the playoffs. It's kind of okay. like the suns in the bubble. They're, they're the bubble suns, but maybe we can convince Chris Paul to come here. <clears throat> Chris Paul coming here is Russell Wilson stank for one more year. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh Lord. Well, I will forever hold out hope. As long as there's a chance. If, if we're in, so you're telling me there's a chance territory, I will remain holding out hope for the Seahawks. And if not for the Seahawks, it's 2010. But there is always light at the end of the darkness. Morning will always come. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Was that podcast good or terrible? It was a, it was definitely a strange it was much more conversational I feel like than